This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. Uh, once in a while, we get a market update, and uh, historically, that's been done by Doug Nelson, no relation, even though he's a very fine gentleman. Uh, but in order to do a market update like that without Doug, you need somebody else who also is smart and knows what they're talking about, and that is why Sam Swift is with me. Sam, thanks for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So for the few people who don't know who you are, why don't you uh, give us your high level? Sure. So I've had the uh, the pleasure, I guess I'll call it pleasure, of working with uh, with Doug for all those years. So I'm, I'm the current CEO of TCI Wealth Advisors. Um, just stepped into that role as of January, but have been with the firm for 17 years. Uh, been an advisor for, for most of those along the way. So that's where, that's where I sit today. An advisor turned CEO. Is that the worst combination or the best combination? <laughs> it's, well, since I'm in it, I guess I have to say it's the best combination, uh, yeah. along the way. Uh, <laughs> you're slightly maybe, biased. Yeah, maybe, maybe better the other way. Well, I certainly didn't get into it to, uh, to be the CEO, which is, uh, fortunately we've designed a firm where I'm still able to be an advisor at the same time, which is nice because it'd be tough to run a firm, an advisory firm without, uh, kind of feeling like you, you know what's going on with your clientele and, and your, uh, and your employees. So, yeah, uh, I've noticed the opposite in some places where they do have CEOs who have no idea what it's like to be the professional. I don't yeah. think that's a good, I don't think that's a great combination, in my opinion. No, it can get a little, little tricky. You gotta, even if you haven't done it, you better understand it. Let's put it that way. Right. You have to understand it. You have to understand the, the stressors. You have to understand what it's like working with real human beings. Uh, cause even, even, you know, for both of us, even though, yes, of course, it's a business, it's a dollars and cents business, uh, you know, it's a cash flow type business. In the end, it's humans. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's all the, the value is the relationship um, for sure. And it's in, in a way kind of taking on the uh, taking on the CEO role in my mind was just I just added 90 clients, which are employees here. So got my mm-hmm. got my outside clients, but it's all about the relationships uh, in, internally as well and making sure everybody's motivated and, and ultimately serving. There is a cool there is a cool exponential impact that you can make. Right. If I can get uh, if, if I can motivate our people to serve serve their clients better and, and what we can continue to do, then we get kind of an exponential impact in each of our communities. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, we could we could wrap on that for a while, but uh, why don't we why don't we get to brass tacks here at least? Yeah, uh, and then maybe we can come back to that topic of people and motivations and things. But um, you know, we're we're halfway through the year. Uh, it's been a very interesting year. So so catch us up on what what has happened to us in the markets. Yeah, kind of a tale of uh, two quarters. It's interesting. I, I will chat with people who have, uh, you know, clients or, or otherwise that are, will kind of say, hey, the mar- markets are crazy right now. And I don't, usually they have a negative bent to that. And certainly headlines have been nuts uh, for the year. But the reality is markets are positive uh, pretty much across the globe, uh, some more so than others. Um, U.S. markets still very much dominating, particularly large U.S. stocks, um, which has been, frankly, 
with a couple of blips along the way, the theme for going on the last decade now uh, of some of those big concentrated ones. And it's not even if you break it down, it really is probably less than 10 stocks. Um, there's been, you know, five or six of them that have really driven a lot of the returns here for uh, for a while. Um, but nevertheless, uh, across the globe um, and even in small cap stocks, um, in, in some of the other categories that we look at, still still positive across the board, despite um, some pretty, as we say, interesting things. It's always interesting to me uh, the way I look at yeah. it. There's always a, always a neat explanation for why something's happened. The trick, of course, is saying what will happen, which is always a much right. more challenging question. Yeah, and, and it seems like in the last six months, there have been two messages, at least in my estimation. Um, message number one, from a very loud corner, we're either in, an, in a recession or we will be in a recession. You know, so we're either in a recession and we're just denying it, or we will very, very soon be in a recession, and, and that is uh, an undeniable fact. So that's one corner. The other corner is, nope, we're not in a recession. We never were, and we're not going to be in a recession. See, all those people were wrong. And I don't know who is right. I, I'm sure there's a very technical uh, economics definition for who's right, but uh, it seems like there there are these two very polar and very loud voices, or there have yeah. been these very polar and very loud voices. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Um, and I don't think we know who's right yet, frankly. And <laughs> I think the the uh, the good economists, as I call them, usually the ones you don't see on your television, uh, <laughs> are, are having a uh, a pretty rational. Rational discussion. I mean, serious disagreements uh, in those two camps that you talk about, but it, but in a good way. And the economic data has been such that I kind of always joke about economic data. It's like, tell me your conclusion and I'll find you the data. Um, And it hasn't been these last several years through really since the COVID shock and everything that has come with that, with the supply chains and then with inflation kicking up, you you can find the data to support whatever conclusion you want um, for the most part. And it's one of those where we'll get the right answer, but it'll be five years from now and not uh, not all that helpful. One of the things that I um, that I always think is interesting is and it's good to remember economies and markets are not the same thing. Right. Um, when we're thinking about it, if you so. So what is happening economically um, certainly plays into how markets perform. But what markets are really doing is predicting future economic uh, conditions effectively. Right. Uh, certainly the stock market does that. The bond market does that in a different way um, because it's it's a uh, it's a little more based on you know, straight interest rates, inflation, uh, some different things like that. But the stock market is effectively saying, what does the economy of the next six to 12 months look like? And how does that justify the price that I'm buying this company at? Um, And important to remember that. And the the reason I bring that up is because regardless of what the future holds, we, we take the tack here that really all of that available information and expectations of the future are priced into current prices. That doesn't make them correct, but it does make them fair, right? And so when you get um, to, to to think about how can I profit on the market going forward, it's really about doing one of two things. It's really, you actually have to do both, is, is successfully predicting the future event um, that is not already priced in, right? So an unexpected, better than expected, or a worse than expected outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to 
you have to also predict how people react to that, uh, which is often proven the, the tricky thing. Um, it's hard enough to predict the future event, but uh, it turns out we're not exactly the most rational beings uh, in, in herd behavior all the time. And sometimes uh, even if we think this news will make this stock go down or go up, um, it, it reverses a lot, <laughs> even if you get the news right. So We're terrible at predicting things, and we're emotional beings. The two, <laughs> yes, two, two things that well, are not – yeah, that are that are not uh, super helpful. Yeah. So what are so what are you doing then with clients different this year, if anything? Yeah, it's, it's always a good question. So number one, when you're when you're talking about your own personal investments, the biggest decision it really is more about your situation. What are you trying to accomplish? Right, that determines um, at the biggest level. You got to determine how much risk, how much short-term risk you're willing to take on for that expected long-term return. Um, if you're in a situation where you're trying to retire super early and spend a lot of money and leave a lot of money, then you probably need to take on more risk to get some of that long-term return. If you're, Obviously, the, the opposite can be true, where especially now that that is one of the good news to uh, a piece of good news from the last 18 months is that you can be relatively safe and actually earn money, unlike the last couple of decades <laughs> where right. uh, where cash and CDs and bonds were uh, were at zero percent um, or, or just above it. You're now you can now get out there and get almost five percent in a in an FDIC insured you know savings account uh, at this right. point. Um, and so so when you take that, it's that that's always the big question. And that the point I'm trying to make is that that has way less to do than what's going on in the market than what is going on in someone's life. Right. That that big decision of how much risk you take on. But then once you get to, OK, this is this is where I'm going to be at risk. It's still a matter of, all right, well, how do I capture these market returns? Um, and from from that, it's. That frankly is stays pretty consistent in our case too of the sense of there's some bedrock principles that you stick with, which is diversification is good. So if we're going to come back to the principle of it's very hard to predict the future, you want a portfolio that's going to be pretty robust and will capture those returns regardless of the outcome. Recession, no recession. In, you know, uh, a dollar increasing in value, the dollar decreasing in value. Uh, international stocks do, you know, international risk going up, international risk coming down, uh, interest rate rising, interest rate decreasing. You want to have pieces of your portfolio that are going to benefit uh, regardless, because again, making those, the appeal of making those big bets is that they can pay off, but the evidence would show us that you're, uh, you're going to be wrong just as often, if not more so um, than you're right. So staying right. diversified, staying low cost uh, are the principles that don't, don't really leave regardless of the market environment. Yeah, that's interesting. Ad- addressing those two unknowns that you you identified, right? Unknowns about what will be the bad thing in the future, and then unknowns about what will be the good thing in the future. Yeah, I- exactly. And and uh, the good news is the history of the market says there's more good than bad, and that's what drives the returns. You end up owning a lot of bad, but the good fortunately outperforms it, assuming that you think that companies will continue to find a way for you know to continue to be more profitable. Um, and, and I certainly believe in that. You're effectively buying a slice of, uh, of global economic progress uh, as, right. as you kind of go forward there. So it, right. there is some interesting things right now. I mean, we, we without making bets, we naturally take what I would call a, a contrarian approach to what's going on in the market simply through rebalancing and through how you value. So we're always going to want to overweight cheap Companies with cheap profits. So what I mean by that is when you're looking at valuations, if I have a, you know, company A has the same expected earnings as company B, but company A is a lot cheaper, 
All else being equal, I want to own more of company A. There is probably a reason it's cheaper. There might be more risk involved with it. Maybe they don't have market share. Maybe there's turnover. Who knows for any individual company why that would be the case. But if I'm buying those as a group over time, buying those profits cheaper, even if I'm taking on a little more risk, that should lead to some long-term return uh, over time. So naturally, the way we kind of invest is we're always going to just by definition, overweight those companies. And those companies change over time, right? Some of them are, they might be cheap today, but they're expensive tomorrow. And thus they kind of exit the portfolio or become underweighted. Um, and something that's expensive today may very well be cheap tomorrow. So it really is about the, I think anybody with some hard work can determine what a good company is. The, the trick is saying, but is this an attractive price to buy that good company at? Mm, um, right. Which is right. that, that's, that's the piece that's harder. It, we can all sit back here and say, well, look at Apple, how much money it's printing. It's like, yeah, that's true. At some point, though, it becomes too expensive <laughs> to purchase, that, that you're paying so much for those future profits that you might be able to find value elsewhere. Um, Apple may be a bad example because it's continued to exceed those really high expectations for, for quite some time now. Um, but uh, it, it, that is the trick. Yeah, well, and that, that is the, the element that you, that you identified of, of you can't know with any degree of certainty what the future will be. You have some level of certainty based on what has happened to this point in time. And so the best that you could do is take a, a sort of calculated, you're calling it risk, or you could call it a bet, but you know, you take a little, you make a guess that's calculated and based on some reasonable basis. And you go with it and then you adjust along the way, I think is what you're suggesting. Yeah, that's basically and, – and the key about those bets is you, the way I think about it is you don't want to make a bet that gives – that has the potential to give up what markets return. Um, and so when you're – that's why I say kind of overweighting and underweighting. There's really – there's very little that we end up not owning, but we might own right. a lot less of it than the market uh, would would justify right, or we might own a lot more right. of it than the market would justify. But you're still, even in that environment, some of those long term bets, even though they won't necessarily pay off every year, um, over time should add a little bit of value. But you're still capturing the. So I'll give you the best the best example, which is happening this year. So what I'm describing of buying those cheap profits that effectively is what we would refer to as value companies relative to growth companies. Growth companies are going to be those that are priced relatively high um, relative to their earnings or their book value, whatever kind of measure you want to use. Value companies right. are going to be the opposite. And this this year, um, you would have rather been, in hindsight, you would have rather been in those growth companies, right? So it doesn't happen all the time. However, having a diversified portfolio still means your portfolio is positive. It may not by definition, when you're diversified, you're never going to be as high as the best performing asset class, right? That's kind of what you give up. But you're not making such a bet that, well, everything's up and I was in real estate, which is like the one thing that hasn't performed well, um, right, uh, today, at least right. pub public real estate uh, investment trusts, I should specify. There's certainly some private real estate that does well occasionally. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and have, having that exposure, you know, well, like in your uh, example, having exposure to those value stocks, you know, it can be the case, of course, that in a six month period of time, that might not have been the best place to have your money. But who's to say in the next six months, it won't be the best place to have your money. That That's right. It's it's very equivalent to, um, well, I mean, the, the stock market, I think, hopefully most people can agree that the stock market over 20 years is going to do a lot better than it, it is 
Never a guarantee. I don't know if my compliance person is listening because there's no such thing. As <laughs> well, well, yeah. we will we will make it very clear uh, for all the compliance people out there. This is not a guarantee. History would show, however, that if you take a 20 year period, you are very, very likely that the that the stock market will outperform your your cash and buy a very significant right? right. That doesn't mean that it happens every quarter or every year, right? There are definitely years where, in hindsight, you'd prefer to be in cash, but you trust that those that that risk will pay off given enough time, which is where it comes back to your individual needs. Again, if you're if you need your million dollars tomorrow, it shouldn't be invested in the stock market because you don't know what tomorrow will bring, right? Um, you're, you're much right. better off making sure that that's there. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because you you did mention that and I wanted to come back to it, which is you you've you know, we kind of talked about there's a difference between the economy and the markets. And then there's also, of course, a great difference between those two things and someone's life and what they need in their life. And all these things cannot track on the same path, nor do they, nor should they. Well, I I think um, where I see people make mistakes is that they they look at their investments in a vacuum. Right. And and by the way, that is what that is what the industry has taught the public to do <laughs> for the last 100 years or so. Right. Um, that it's all about choosing, you know, if, if I do my research, if I'm smart or whatever, I can I can choose the right investment. And my proposition is that that's just the wrong question to be asking, um, mm. that, that your investment should be much more determined by what you want to accomplish. Um, the assumption by trying to just focus on your investments in a vacuum, a little bit of the assumption that is underlying there is that your goal is more. Um, and I think when you pull people, that is not most people's goal. That It might be more because <laughs> more allows me to do this, to do this for my family, to give to charity, to, to live the life that I want to live, right, buy the second home, whatever the case is. But if you don't have that why – um, then you're just, I mean, you might as well be throwing, throwing darts at the board. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I think that's so true that you, you have to first start with that question of why or, or what's the purpose of this. And if it isn't a purpose that kind of adds some value to your life, why are you doing it? You know, why yeah. are you, ex- why are you expending your, your limited emotional resources on that thing? Cause it won't make you. It will make you happier. Right. Yeah, you're just you're just earning time, which you have a limited amount of, and it's really not going to get you a result that will enrich something. Yeah, I think you you mentioned something, Brent, that I think strikes me. I mean, you 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 mentioned kind of the time and the energy. I, I do think of time, energy, money. Those are really our three mm-hmm. resources. And and my point is not to judge which one of those you choose to value the most. Um, my point is that I want you to be intentional about it because I do feel like a lot of people are unintentional about it. Um, that yeah. the, the pursuit, they, most of us trade in a lot of our time and energy for money, especially when we're younger. Um, and then we wait. And finally, that money supplies us with some time and energy when we're retired. And what I find now is that that intentionality around, around what people choose to do with work. Um, I mean, I've had, I've had hundreds of clients, it seems like that have, really been in that pursuit of money and they're like, well, if I can only get to the point that I can retire, but really what they want to retire from is the job they're currently doing. Um, and if they could go somewhere and even make less dollars, but it's something they enjoy, all of a sudden retirement isn't even the goal anymore because now they're, they feel retired. They're doing what they want to do and thus they don't have right. to make as much money to be able to do it. So it is that never a judge of what somebody values, 
Um, but I do want it to be intentional is my big point is, is yeah, no, it, it's okay to say, yeah, I'm going to work my butt off to make a bunch of money. That is okay. But I want you to be intentional and have the why behind. It. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really sage, uh, way to view it. And well, it gets back a little bit to the conversation we were having about being a CEO than in managing um, people within a large organization, because it's no different in a large organization. You have people working for the organization. They're spending their time and emotion and sometimes their money on yeah. that. So how do you help them to to be intentional in the way that they're even doing their work so that they can find some fulfillment in the work that they're doing? And then, of course, in a service industry like like uh, ours, you hope that that translates into good services for clients who make the, the wheels turn. Sure, it, it definitely builds builds on itself. Um, the, the advantage to what we do is that just by being an employee here, you get access to us, uh, right? It's just part of an employee benefit. Uh, you you get that free financial advice um, and, and an advisor. And, and most of our employees, including myself, uh, most of our advisors work with another advisor for that same exact reason of you're going to have your own emotional blind spots. Um, and, and so just having somebody that can be objective to be able to see that is – is pretty valuable. You know, I think about when I stepped into the the CEO role here, that was one of my main concerns was I have a young, young family at home. Now, granted with an eight and a five-year-old, I do have to be very clear that I don't care how hard I'm working here in the office. It's going to be easier than what it is at home. Um, so <laughs> there is always that, yeah. uh, that contrast that I'm always going to be more exhausted after the weekend than the week, uh, here, which was a, a shift in my life once you had kids. Um, but I, I, I had to be pretty intentional about what I was going to be able to, if I'm going to devote more time and energy, what is the why? And, and can I still balance that with being able to coach my kids, little league teams and, uh, you know, spend, spend the time with them. Um, and fortunately we're, we have such a good, good team here that I, I'm able to do that personally. And I, and we try to walk all of our employees through that as well to make sure that they, they have that balance. Yeah. I think it's key. You're, you're dealing with, yeah, again, you're still dealing with humans, whether, uh, the humans are employees or, or their clients and to get the best out of them, you have to always remember that it's a human and, yeah, all of those, that time, energy and, and, um, money is very real and very present. And it's going to be like, to your point to like, it, it's going to be different and everybody's going to have very different goals. And it's not to be, uh, judgmental about their goals. It's to understand what their goal is. And then can you support that goal? And sometimes the answer is you can't. Yep. Uh, cause you know, your organization just isn't the place for that. But again, that's not a judgment on their goal. That's just a, that's just a reality. Yeah, you, you're you're better off uh, you're better off over here um, to to achieve it. You know, you may, I think it's a you're hitting on a point that I this is where if you gave me two people on paper, um, right, and they looked the exact same on paper, and I can run through a you know a financial planning software and say, all right, they've said the same things, what they want to do, what they want to accomplish, they're in the same position. Well, in theory, that portfolio you know, that's going to accomplish that for them should be the exact same. And the reality is because of because of stuff that's not on that paper, the human emotion, that may not be the case. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Let's say it's an aggressive portfolio and that might work for one. But the other one's like, I I'm not going to sleep at night if I see that thing go down 20 percent in a quarter or whatever the case is. Right. And right. it's like, uh, well, then it's not the right portfolio for you. And we we need to revisit and balance and say, 
But that also means we might have to adjust your goals. So how important is it? If, if you know, where are your priorities? How do you um, really see our job is quantifying that so that people can just make better intentional decisions? There's again, there's very I think it's a misnomer that there's a right or wrong answer a lot in in what we do. Uh, it is there is a right and wrong answer, but it's very individualized. A hundred percent. I could not agree with that. More. I, ma- I imagine that imagine your work is the exact same too. It's yep. right. You, 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 two people that look very similar might still have very different plans um, for uh, for what they need to accomplish and and how they need to accomplish. Completely. And so you even break it down to uh, say one topic like taxes. You know, some people their their whole goal in life will be I want to pay. Yeah, I want to pay the least amount. I want to pay the least amount of tax possible. Uh, so their plan may look one way. And then there may be somebody else who says, yeah, that's not really my main concern. I'm more concerned about these other things that have nothing to do with tax. Their plan's going to look very different. And yeah. that it doesn't make one plan good and one plan bad. Yeah. Exactly. It's the same thing. What oftentimes when I pick up, uh, planning that was done previously, you know, sometimes the way it was, set up maybe wouldn't have been the way that I would have done it, but I wasn't part of that conversation. So who am I to say that at that moment, say 20 years ago, when they signed all those documents and did that planning, that that was a bad plan because 20 years ago, they had no idea what was going to happen in the next 20 years. And they may have had a completely different set of ideas and goals and desires 20 years ago than the ones that I'm subjectively imparting on to the plan now. So my judgment today is really not relevant. And so I tried very hard um, not to judge the prior planning from my point of view because it's not really fair. And I certainly am not in a position to do that. And it, and it gets it really gets to the that point of like, well, you have to know what the goal is. And then once you know what the goal is, then the plan will take some particular type of shape and the goals can change over time. And if they do change over time, then the planning has to change to match up with the goals. And then it doesn't make one, one plan worse than the other one. If the goals are different in both plans. Yeah, no, you're, you're hitting on it. We have a, what was the old, the old Mike Tyson quote, right? A plan is good until, until you get punched in the face. Uh, And that's basically, that's life, right? Life is going to change whether it's something within your control or not. And it's way we always try to emphasize that a, a plan is good, um, but it's also once something else changes, you, you have to revisit. So it's really about the act of planning, um, yeah. in, a, in an active way. And I, I do think this is actually good with, with what happens in the markets too. Don't mistake doing nothing for a, for an inactive decision, right? I always kind of say that. And what you were asking too, do you do something different in the markets depending on what's going on? What looks like we're not doing anything, like no no changes, we're not flipping out a fund, we're not making allocation changes, is still a very active decision to say, I still think we're in the right spot for where you want to be. It's it's not reacting to what's going on um, that is outside of our control. Uh, so sometimes it's, we definitely, we're wired to want to do something, <laughs> is what we mm-hmm. kind of always say when, when markets get... Uh, Volatile, which is, by the way, pretty much all the time. So sometimes we're like, "Wow, my markets have been so volatile." It's like eh, they're kind of always volatile like that if you if you pay attention to them. Um, but again, staying the course is an active decision you make every day until it something has changed and it makes sense to to actually uh, adjust. 
Right. Yeah, very good stuff. Well, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Sam, because I know you you have like a real job that you have to do, and uh, <laughs> this is not it. <laughs> so I, well, I, I just remain jealous that uh, I'm sitting down here in 108 degrees and and you're in a hoodie. So uh, from where you well, are, that's <laughs> we all make certain decisions in our lives, and who who am I to say that your decisions were worse than mine? But they were. Um, well if people are trying to find you what's the best way for them to find you sure just uh tciwealth.com i uh well i should say i used to write a lot for us but we have quite quite a few more writers uh the website really has all of our all of our information uh, about all of our advisors our offices and and certainly me on there and, and really who we are and what we do cool and i'll of course i'll include all the links and things in the the show notes so people can find you uh, if for some reason they don't know how to type in Sam Swift into Google, uh, they can find you there. I, I should probably do that before I tell other people to do that. Who knows what's it's out there? Sure, you better. You should clean up your public persona. <laughs> Sam, well, no, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate it, Brent. Yeah, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.